Father, we thank you that if we have received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are your children. That you don't need training. That you have always perfectly brought us up. Loved us more than we would ever know. Guided us along the way. Disciplined us when we needed it. And stayed close. Never changed. Always consistent. Always um, leading by example. We thank you for that. We pray as we end this series today that it wouldn't be the end of the messages or the end of the practice in our lives. And that what we learn from you as our perfect Heavenly Father will pass on to our children, our grandchildren, um, those around us who need training, but that we will just grow in our love for you and our trust of you. So bless our time as we look at this passage today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're closing off with 1 Thessalonians 2. It's always dangerous when you put my wife back with the children and leave me without someone to control me. John doesn't control me. John, actually, I shouldn't go into this, but he can lead me astray sometimes with those amens. They're just, they're just distracting. But I love John more than he'll ever know and um, appreciate what he does for me, along with my other children, don't I? daughter, and I've lost some. They've gone in the back, I guess. We are excited to look into God's Word and learn from it. Now, this passage, primary emphasis is Paul talking to the Thessalonians and bringing up the example of being a father. I want to use it to kind of bring out some points that I think Scripture brings out, but to summarize them kind of succinctly here. But going back and looking at what we've covered, we were talking about children as a gift. They were given to us to love to guide, to discipline, to release. And that doesn't mean what I'm talking about today in launching them, but simply to give them to God, to recognize they're not ours, and to trust Him to do what's best for them. But then, and, and we talked about launch or leading them, and then we're talking about today about letting them go. Kind of the idea of what I'm talking about with launching them. How early should we do that? Remember old um, Mark Twain? When they turn 14, you put them in a barrel and feed them through the knothole. So is, is 14 a good age? Or 16 when he said to plug up the knothole and uh, let them go. Because he didn't have a lot of use for teenagers. And sometimes we want to push them out. When the Jews dealt with their children, 13, bar, or bar mitzvah, a son became a man. With all the rights and privileges that went along with that. Mary, they guessed, could have been 15 years old when she's betrothed to Joseph. Our society has gone to other extremes, all the way up to telling you not to get married until you're in your 30s. And then you realize that was not a good idea. And now many are going to all different ages, and then they just threw out marriage altogether. Who needs marriage? Why lock yourself in at such a young age when you don't really know the person? So a lot of them are into the used furniture business. Uh, they try out the rocking chair for a few years, and then they decide, Meh, I don't like this rocking chair. And then what do you do with the rocking chair? Cast it aside. A lot of women feel like used rocking chairs in our society. And so we're working with our children, trying to prepare them to develop convictions in their lives so that they become Christ-like, so that they become dependent on God, so that they can stand alone. That's the idea of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about launching them. My goal is to allow them to independently dependently walk with God. That's not popular today. And the methods that we have shared over the last six messages in this area stress how unpopular that is. We're swimming upstream. All seven areas we've talked about are under attack. And you have to recognize the fact that your children are going to grow up. You think they'll never get away from a past fire, never stop using a diaper, um, never stop needing you for whatever. They will grow up. You don't see anyone in this room right now using a pacifier, at least at church. <laughs> They're going to leave. And if that doesn't happen, if you hang on like many are doing today and are afraid to let go because the world's so bad, you're going to die. Then what have you prepared them for? And that doesn't mean die at 80 or 60 or 40. You may be in a car wreck and be gone. 
We are preparing our children every day to live without us, but to live dependent on God. This is what we want to stress here. And so in this relationship with our children, I need to present them to God. I need to help them come to know him from day one. Every opportunity I get, share the gospel, encourage them, bring them along. Never stop, even when they become adults. If they have rejected the message, I keep sharing it by word and by deed. By example, what Christ means in me and why it is profitable for you in this life, for abundant life, and life eternal with Jesus Christ. But I'm preparing them for life, and I never stop praying for them. That's where John and Tim have increased the pressure on me. When they decided to become deputy sheriffs, my prayer life had to increase. And I'm often wondering what's going on. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking of things. And I do with my other children as well for different reasons. But you never stop praying. I am dependent on God because I received him at an early age and grew up with him in a home that was kind of mediocre in the presentation of Christianity. My parents professed it, but the Bible lay on the table. That's all we got. Went to a Baptist church that was mediocre at best. And very immoral, oftentimes, with many leaders in that church. And so you look back and you go, God, why, why didn't you give me a better example? Why not a stronger home? Why not a stronger church where the men actually stood up for something and had convictions rather than running off with whatever woman came along? But you learn a lot from that. Hence, another problem in our society. We as parents are overprotecting our children. We don't want them to go through troubles. We don't want them to struggle. And what does that produce? Insecurity. You, you think you're giving them security, and you are. It's artificial. You need to let them grow up. You need to let them fail at things that are appropriate to fail at. Remember we talked about the two-year-old? You don't set the glass of water on the table or the glass of milk in front of them, a big tall glass with, with no little base on it or a sippy cup on top or lid or whatever it might be. You don't do that to them because they're not ready. But there comes a point when the sipper cup that you may still be using at 25 needs to go away. <laughs> Moms have trouble doing that. Are we releasing? Does God release us? I hate society the way it is right now. It just irks my soul to watch not only the unrighteousness being practiced, but what's being taught. Telling people, and I'll pick on one and maybe I'll get thrown in jail, but to tell somebody who's transgender that is a good thing is a lie. It is destructive to them. You're telling them that what God made you into is not good enough. And so you see the suicide rate so high because people don't know who they are. They're lost. And the world's telling them they're found. And you go on to any other sin you want to describe. They're all destructive. They're not helpful. And so with our children, I want to focus on what is best for them. I want to guide them along into a successful family. I want a husband who loves his wife sacrificially. Uncommon today. I want wives who submit to their husbands respectfully. Not only uncommon, but taught violently against. We want children who obey and honor their parents wholeheartedly. They're being told to do everything and don't tell their parents. And then we want parents in general to instruct and discipline their children consistently. It's missing. It's missing. It's why I took the last few weeks to interact around this area because it's got to be fixed. And you're it. Righteousness exalts a nation. Where's that found? Oh, just in case you hadn't noticed. You wouldn't think that's Proverbs 14.34. But righteousness comes from believers. It doesn't come from unbelievers. You need to start setting an example that the world can look at and either persecute, which they will, or ask you to give a reason for the hope within you, which they also will do. But it's going to cost you. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So look what Paul goes into as he's talking to the Thessalonians, and I apply it more directly to the family. He says in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 2, You are witnesses, Thessalonians, 
You are testifiers, and so is God. Remember the whole adage of, uh, adage of Deuteronomy 19.15, that everything is based on the testimony of two or three witnesses? Here's Paul's witnesses. Thessalonians, you knew us. You watched us. You, you knew all about us, and so does God, obviously. So we have support from these eyewitnesses as to how we acted. First he goes to himself, and he focuses on this idea that he was faithful. It's what you want to be able to say as a father or as a mother when your children are gone. Some of them are leaving at very early ages. Some of them are being taken away because the home is so bad. What's the ideal? Society set up 18. At 18, you, your parents can't tell you what to do anymore. Is that God's ideal? Do we, we need an age that, that's automatic? If you have children that you've raised who are obedient and honoring to you, there, there's no age limit. There are actually children who obey. There are children who honor their parents, who, whose parents have been very relaxed with them. But it's because of Christ in us that that causes us to happen. Now, if my wife were sitting there right now, she'd be going, slow down, Jack. You're being a little too... This is my last message. This is my last crack at this. i got to be intense. And some of you haven't heard the first six messages. So I have to review. And others are sitting, and even I've gotten word that some have said, well, I'll come back to church when he's done with the messages on children. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Even passages on children. You're either learning it, being reminded of it, or catch, gathering information that you can pass on to somebody else that you're going to train. Remember, we don't come to be served, but to serve. To lay down our lives for one another. We're always here trying to take in the word so that we can better serve God. And so Paul says, this is how I acted. Look at the three ingredients. He showed reverence. He showed uh, this uprightness in relations. And then in his reputation was blameless. And so he says how devoutly, how uprightly, and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. So he starts with himself and he says, there's my example. Was that instantaneous for Paul? Was he born out of the womb and all of a sudden he goes, man, I'm devout, upright, and blameless? How old was he at this point? At least in his 30s because he was saved when he was older. He talks about some of that in general ways, doesn't give you ages, but he's, he's an older man, and he's saying, this is what I became. But when he became a believer, you go to Galatians, and between the, the three years and the 14 years he throws in there, it took Paul 17 years to unlearn what he had been as a Pharisee. What do we do with movie stars that come to Christ? Put them right in the limelight. We ruin them. And they stumble, and they fall, and they never get a proper discipling. And they, all they can think about is, I have been humiliated in public, and on and on it goes. You don't do that with someone when they first come to Christ. But, but they can sing so well. They're, they're the best soccer player out there. you got to get them up front. Nope. God took Paul and hid him. We do that with our children sometimes. We want to promote whatever it is. I've been watching some videos this week. Um, sad to say, and trying to get some background on lives of some of the child stars who at 11, 12, 13 sing like they have been in the opera for 50 years. And then I followed their lives, some of them, to watch them crash and crash and crash. And the common denominator that was missing was Christ. And it brought dis disunity in their families the, the media destroyed their families. The media turned them into sex symbols for some of them, into whatever it may be that you're supposed to be when you're one of us. You can't preach Christ when you get into the, one of those positions. We won't put you in the limelight. So as you're looking at this, we have these goals in our lives of what we want our children to be. Well, what you want them to be is what you are. So if you're not living it, don't expect them to follow. Because that's how it works. 
like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. And so Paul tells them right up front, this is what was important. We were devout. We had this pious, holy manner about us. We faithfully followed God's laws. And in essence, he's saying here with this first one, we were right with God. So that's the first area. So many people claim to be saved today who don't know him. So many people have religion or churchianity. They don't know Christ. They have not made a personal decision on the inside. That's where the conviction starts. I look back on my life, and I've told you many times, I, I was saved at 7, and I was in church until about 11, and then our church had this major split. The pastor that I loved, um, very strong, devout man who lived it in his life, they kicked him out. And my parents were really upset, and so we got out of church for five years. Kind of like, COVID in the last one year for a lot of people. There's still people not going to church. Not good. You don't, church isn't online. And why do we try to keep that going? But that's not church. It's a called out assembly that he's talking about, which is why we have done what we've done as a church. But so many were struggling with all of that. And, and, their, um, and I did at those five years. I came back at age 16 and I didn't know John 3.16. And the reason I remember it is because I had sitting across from this really pretty girl at a banquet that I got invited to, and the guy sitting next to her used me as a punching bag the whole evening. And when he found out I didn't know John 3.16, he humiliated me. What? And he starts saying it louder and louder to all the other teenagers around him. Well, I quit church, right? No, I had convictions that were built in because I was a believer. I genuinely got saved at a young age. God wouldn't let me go. But during those five years, there were a lot of temptations. I saw a lot of stuff, and I wasn't being told no. The Bible sat on the coffee table, and all of the teenagers around me in high school and junior high were doing their thing. What kept me out of all of that? God. That was it. I look back and I just thank him and thank him and thank him for so many situations that could have gone really bad, really bad. And so as I watch God work in my life, that's the critical thing. This is where the devoutness, this pietness comes from. It's having a, a faithfully following after God. It's being right with God. And Paul says, not only he, but Silas and Timothy, out of 1-1 when he starts this letter, had lived devoutly. They had set up an example that the Thessalonians could look up to which is what parents need to do for their children. You, um, you know, I could get really nitpicky here and start going into details. I don't know what you're doing right or wrong. I don't know what you're watching on TV, but they're watching it with you. Ours finally went off, at least the regular programming. We let it go. But I'm watching. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not watching things, and I'm not, but I'm saying I'm not watching the world anymore. It's, it's really difficult. The shows that you don't pay for that come on automatically or this old house. Hard to get too far off with all of that. But it gets old really fast. And so you're, you're looking for entertainment. You're looking for things to pull you in. You're actually looking for things to make you enjoy and to follow after and to lust after and, and to wish you had. And on and on it goes with a lot of what's going on. And he's saying we were devout. We were right with God. That was our standard. That's what we focused in on. Not only that, he said, that we, were, uh, we lived uprightly. This is righteously or justly. They faithfully obeyed human laws. Wouldn't you love it if, and again, for the, the police that we have or, or um, those enforcing it, whether you're a, a, a vice principal in a school, but wouldn't you love it if all the kids obeyed everything? All the drivers in the road, you, you drove around, you go, there's nobody doing anything wrong. Kind of boring. Somebody do something. But it's what God's after. God wishes he could put the police out of business. And when you get to the, when you get to the new Jerusalem, it is out of business. It's unnecessary in the city of Jerusalem. Because everybody is, has deep convictions that they live by. I watch it here on a regular basis. I can see genuine believers respond because they don't care as much about themselves as they care about those around them. And over and over and over again, we see true love shared amongst those who really know Christ. 
But you put that to a test or you run that too long, and if somebody really doesn't know Christ, they quit. They give up. They pull away. And so it's really hard when you're in a, a family situation. You need to be right with man, not just devout and right with God, but upright, right with man, obeying human laws. Some of those are being thrown away today. They're telling children they don't have to obey their parents. They're encouraging children not to honor their parents. Sue them if they do something you don't like. Younger teenagers, you can get a divorce from your parents. There are lawyers who will take that, take that on and help you. Just what they need, right? Yeah, well, they make money off it too. But it's a 13-year-old is being set from their parents. Who, who's leading them? Who's finishing out their life? What's it like when you have one example for all those years, and then all of a sudden you have a radical different example, which is what divorce does to a lot of homes. They get a, a, a step-parent or whatever it may be, and all, it's changed. And I've heard many testimonies from some of you in the same regard. All of a sudden, life got really easier. Life got really strict. Or all of a sudden, I wasn't loved anymore. I wasn't appreciated. And they started looking for some home to send me off to or some boarding school. You see that in the movies. When you see that in the movies, you hate it. But when you see it in real life, you go, eh, that's just normal. It's not normal. God wants what's best for us. It starts with salvation, and then it follows up with this righteousness that we walk in with him. Paul says, I did both of those, so did Silas, so did Timothy. And they went on with this blameless reputation, without defects or blemishes, unreproachable. They faithfully fulfilled their obligations and were unable to be criticized. Now, ultimately, a lot of this fits in with the idea of being right with yourself. You ever have a, a battle with yourself? And they use this whole thing about, well, I got a white angel on one shoulder and a black angel on the other shoulder, and they're telling me different things of what I should and shouldn't do. There's no such thing. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have one black angel if you want to use that illustration. There's only one influence talking to you. And if you come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, there's only one influence that's talking to you at that level because you have a new nature in Christ. Things have changed. The Holy Spirit takes over your life. And he guides you into righteousness. But all these people and a lot of preachers today are giving you excuses. Well, I couldn't help myself. It was kind of this tug-of-war going on. No, 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 no. Either you're not saved, and that's why there's this sense of a tug-of-war, or you gave in because you wanted to. God already changed you from the inside out. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. So many professing salvation today are telling me that with their words, and then they go live like the devil with their lives. Which one is it? Their lifestyle. The true believer cannot live in sin. They'll be miserable, and they'll be spanked by God. They'll be directed. So yes, this is a very intense message, and Paul lays out... I did these three things for you. That's how we behaved toward you believers. We performed, we lived our lives before you. Was that easy for Paul? No. You, you go down to South America. We went to Colombia on a missions trip. The, the prostitutes, you didn't want to be alone when you got into Cartagena because they would approach you rather quickly, boldly, and they, they didn't approach you because they weren't attractive. You had to watch out. Our own secret service went down there, and they find them with a whole bunch of prostitutes up in some hotel room. That's not a good thing. I don't think it's how they train them. But the whole issue here to me and why Paul was what he was is because of conviction. He knew what was right in God's eyes. He knew what was right in human law. He knew what was right in himself and how the Holy Spirit worked with him to convict him. And he obeyed. Do you think Paul sinned after becoming a believer? Yeah, you should nod your heads instantly. Yes, he still struggled with sin. He even admits some of it. He talks about it in Galatians 2 when he, when he came on to Peter the wrong way too strongly because of what Peter had done. He rebuked him, but it was a little harsh. Even with Barat, or, um, Barnabas in, in Acts, the, the whole struggle they had where they separated off because Paul was that type A that wanted nothing to do with John Mark because he, he failed. 
Paul was a tough guy. You say, well, that's why he was so strong. No, he was so strong because he knew Jesus Christ. God had changed him. As a Pharisee, that's not what he was like. Very selfish. He would lead people off to jail and encourage them to be executed. You meet him in Acts 7 when he's standing there holding the robes of those who executed Stephen. You want a friend like that? Don't do something wrong. Off with his head. Where are we at on our walk? I've stressed this all the way through this series. I kept trying to bring this up over and over again. And I don't have a lot of funnies to share today. Sorry. We're making decisions. And we wrestle with this because we say, well, I wasn't Paul. And I failed. I blew it. But Paul goes on to explain a little bit more here. He says, just as you know, this is oida. This is a form of just kind of a mentally comprehended. You took in the facts in your brains, and it's a perfect tense. So it says, you took them in, and you still know the fact how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. That's why you don't like dad some days. Because this is the role he fits into. They have a specific responsibility. But the goal of these three goes back to what I just brought up, the idea of building convictions, strong internal persuasion, this personal, unchangeable belief, and it's missing today. What the world has done with convictions is turn them upside down. If you go through the Ten Commandments and you understand what they're really saying, which a lot of people, even in church, don't understand what they're saying. They've made up stuff about them. There's only one God. His existence is obvious. There are no other gods to worship him. Don't make some image and picture some idea. We brought that up in recent messages about what he looks like because you don't know. You've never seen him. And as soon as you make some kind of image, it'll be fake. And I talked about that picture of Jesus that hung up on the, the front of the church wall in many churches, many homes. That's not God. So don't try to make up something. And especially don't make a statue or a temple or, or some meteorite that came down from the sky that they worshipped in, in the first century or whatever else they were doing. Something that was beyond them, they would worship it. Second commandment says don't do that. He tells you then in the third commandment to what? Not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and everybody thinks that's just using it as a swear word. That's way down the list. What does it mean? Like I said, I don't know that we truly understand, or you're afraid to answer because you think I know everything, which I don't. But you're abusing the name. When they stand up in a court of law, which they don't do anymore, I've been watching some Perry Masons, but those are gone now too. You, you used to think, when we were kids, it was always, put your hand on the Bible, so help me God. That, that went away. That wasn't in the Perry Masons. That was back in the 50s, early 60s. It was already gone. God's already out. Then the Bible started changing for other books and other things that they would put their hand on. But when I use his name and I say, so help me God, or I stand as a politician and I say, God bless America. And Ebner, watching that on TV or wherever I may be, I always answer back. You can ask my wife who's not here, but it's what the answer is, God can't bless America. Because it's righteousness that exalts a nation. And America has gone far away from that. You want God's blessing? You need to repent. Repentance, that change of mind, means that you will stop doing what you're doing. We watch stuff on TV today. Hallmark went to it when you're starting having homosexual couples that are in there. I, I picked up another thing. I was watching or listening to music online, and I saw a picture of a well-known singer, and then I saw in the background somebody come up kissing him on the cheek, and I looked at it closer, and I went, that's a guy. Then you start finding out, that's normal. Totally normal. And then when everybody's telling you it's okay to change your bodies, Make them into something. Have you ever talked to any of those people down the road? And have you ever heard the facts that many of them have done to children just a few years down the road are already regretting it and you cannot undo those surgeries? Why are they doing that? Because we don't want God. We don't want Him ruling over our lives. And so we're going to drag as many people in with us as possible. So what's your role as a parent? 
You can't just tell your kids, nope, 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 no, no, nope. Can't do that, nope, nope. You need to tell them why. And if we don't even know the Ten Commandments, if we don't even understand what they're undoing and turning upside down, the Sabbath was given to Israel in the Fourth Commandment. It's, it's, not a, it's applicable to Israel. And check out Exodus 31 if you want to know why. But when you get on to honoring your parents, out today. Do not murder, out today. Do not commit adultery, out today. What's the next one? What's number eight? Covenant's 10. And number eight, it's an open book exam, I always tell you. Now, do you know where in the book to look? If you listen to your pastor who says, read your Bibles, you would know it's in two places in the Old Testament. And I shared one of them last week because our message was right after he repeated the Ten Commandments to the children of those who had violated it. So Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And what's the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And so when you're looking into those, you're realizing they're telling you, yes, it's okay to steal. It's okay to lie. It's okay to covet. That's normal. Have you seen that? You, you understand how our world is upside down? So you're not only trying to train your children, you're trying to train them in the midst of a society that's telling them that you're a liar that God is wrong, that your way doesn't work. And how long does it take? How long until the earth disappears? If we don't fix our climate. It was 12 years, now it's about 10. Is that true? What are we going to say in 10 years when it doesn't come true? Nobody will care. Why don't we care? That is an out-and-out lie that is dictating what our country is doing. It makes the focus be on my world instead of on my God, on the creation rather than on the creator. And these are things that I'm constantly trying to pass on to my children. How did I learn those things? From a kicked out of church for five years and a very critical time of your growth. Mocked when I tried to come back. Bible sat on the coffee table. My parents are dead. I'm not trying to mock them. They lived it in a lot of ways, but they didn't teach it to me. How did it come about? I came to Christ, and I wanted to know him. I didn't depend on what was around me. I didn't make excuses about that, and I felt sorry for some of that, including the church I was in. Five leaders ran off with somebody else's wife or husband. And the fifth one is when I resigned, because I was in, leader, I was in a leadership position with, with the youth group at that point. And I knew more. See, prior to that, they kind of covered over. And when I resigned and left to go off to seminary, that's what they told the church. They didn't tell the church I resigned because of how they improperly handled a situation of somebody that, that needed church discipline. I had convictions from the Word of God. I didn't get those convictions from my parents. My, my dad was um, more abusive. My, my mom was more lenient. And as we grew up around that, I could have become a very angry man because of how I'd been brought up. But I was taught from the word to honor my father, and I went to him and asked him to forgive me one day when I was 19. My dad was forever off the hook. And in my dad's eyes, I became a man. I didn't know how that would all work, but I let it go. And my focus was on Jesus Christ. This is what you're trying to do with your children. You're trying to get them to focus independently of you, but dependent on God. You can't force that. And then what do you do when they're adults and they haven't re reached that level? What, what do you do when I brought up to you, you're, many of you struggling, saying, I'm in a guilt trip. I, I can't go back and undo all the wrong I did. You're right. You can't. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's what God has to do for us in forgiving us. But what do I do? Start now. Somebody asked me the other day what to do. I said, if, if the situation's such the first thing you may need to do is go to your child and ask them to forgive you. Honesty goes a long ways with kids. I failed. I've been reading my Bible. I've been listening to messages on God's Word. I've been taking this in. I realize I failed. So I go back and I ask my child to forgive me. 
And then I go find the paddle and I beat him. Catch up, right? No, no, that's not what you have to do. At that point in time, if they're an adult, that, that, that's gone. So God's going to have to use something else in their life if your testimony doesn't change them. When you go to Titus 1, which I get in a lot of trouble for, because I stepped down from being an elder, because of having a child that was astray. Titus 1.6, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation and rebellion. And as I go back to that, God holds that up pretty high. If you have a child that isn't saved, demonstrated by their lifestyle of dissipation and rebellion, you're not qualified. What that tells me when he wrote the Titus, and you go down a little farther, and he's talking about the Cretans are always liars, lazy gluttons. And you go, well, how could he find anybody to be an elder in that church? Because they were coming to Christ. They were sharing the truth with their children. The change in their father was so radical that the child took on the same message. It was so real. It was so consistent. They also believed. And they stopped doing what they were doing. This is what he's after when he comes to the word. I can't undo the past. I can't undo my sin. The only thing that takes care of my sin is Christ's death on the cross. I deserve to go to hell. Many times over. Sorry, this is so serious. I got my angry eyes on this morning. Some of it because I look at things around me and it's so frustrating. But he tells them here in verse 11, he says, just as you know how we were exhorting, this is the, the picture here is urging, imploring, exhorting a person to follow a certain mode of conduct. That's what a father does. What's the target, dad? Too often it's the Christian community. It's whatever is acceptable in the church. That's what I'm after. Don't ever do that. Get your target from the scriptures. Culture changes, and what do churches do? They change. They become whatever is popular, whatever works. We're trying to bring them in. We want to grow. We need more money. We need, need more bodies. And, and it's always a pursuit, and I grew up in a church like that, which is why they tolerated sin, and I finally had to resign. And they told me specifically on the last one, which involved homosexuality. They said, if this gets out, it will destroy our church to find out that we have somebody in our church Clear back in the, about 1980, it was a practicing homosexual. So they buried it. They covered it up. And I go into details about that. And I go, what? I said, well, it's got nothing to do with the sin. It's got everything to do with the person. You're not loving the person. You're trying to get them to go away because they make you look bad. It's too often what parents do with their children. That's why they got in trouble in the first place. Because I was trying to raise a child for my glory. Not for God's glory. So there's a struggle. He says, we were exhorting. This is what dads do. I'm sorry about that. Apologize to my children if dad exhorted too hard, too often. But it's what a dad's supposed to be doing. I try to set up a certain mode of conduct for them. And in a young age, I can control that to a certain degree. Challenging them to receive Christ. Encouraging them to deal with something that they've done something wrong. When they show up at home with a couple candy bars in their pocket and they didn't go with you to the store with any money. We got a problem we need to deal with here. Because next time it may be a suitcase and then the next time it may be a car. And then the deputies have to get involved and it messes everything all up. And then dads lay awake at night praying. You see how this cycle goes? You nip it in the bud the best you can when they're young. But if they don't receive Christ, you haven't changed them on the inside. There is no new creature to live out. There, there's no work for the Holy Spirit to work on in convicting them as a child of God. So it just complicates things. But Paul says initially this is what he was doing, and this is the same thing. You're setting up the standard for your children. And typically the phrase is, because my parents told me to. And how long is that good for? Until they turn about 12, 13, become that teenager, they start going through puberty, and all of a sudden when they tell their friends, well, this is what my parents told me, what do their friends say? What do their friends say? You guys are super quiet today, so I must be too, too um, firm. 
Yeah, who cares what your parents said? That'd be a really good phrase. They don't know what they're talking about, so they challenge them. They have no validity. There's no basis for them to put that on. Or worse, the worst one that they share often, which I don't know that we always pick up, is, I've done it, didn't hurt me. Stealing, sex, lying. Look at me, I'm fine. I'm not really apologizing for being so serious. I'm concerned. Society's going down the tubes. And what do we do about it? Complain. Criticize. Or try to get into the whole realm of voting, which is fine. That, that's a thing that's set up for our country, and you should vote. But that doesn't fix it. There's no moral majority that's going to straight out and straighten out America. When God went after Israel, which is what he was doing with Deuteronomy 6, he expected Israel to get on her knees and cry out to him. And to get up and do it differently. Do it God's way. That's what he was after. That's not popular today. That's not what people like to hear. I'm not trying to grow a big church. I have cancer, and I keep telling you, one of these days, man, and I haven't explained that very well because uh, people still don't understand. But they're looking for new pastors. You saw in the newsletter, or you're going to read it, because I'm going down and down. I'm having a horrible day physically today. Which is probably why I'm so serious, too. But I can't fix that. I, I took an aspirin. I do what I can. But, but our limitations, some of you are having horrible days. Some people aren't here today because they aren't feeling good. And you have the option, you can just stay at home. But we do that as parents. We make excuses for what we're doing and not doing instead of realizing, no, we're destroying the country. And worse yet, we are not glorifying and honoring God. We hate our kids because we aren't loving them. And part of that love involves discipline. We're, we're leaving everything out that God said to do. We think we got a better idea and we're going to make it work our way. Now, how's it turning out? I don't know how to crack a joke in the middle of that. It's sad. I'm finding myself more and more on my knees, more and more on my face before God, crying out to him and asking him to help because the standard of what a father is supposed to do is not being set up. And it's for young children because my parents told me it's secondhand. And too often we major on the minors. And we teach them to follow a set of rules rather than to follow Christ. And that's kind of what last week's message was. But he goes on from that. It's not just exhorting them and giving them that, those guidelines. He said we were also encouraging. This first one is instilling in the right information, now influencing them in the right direction. This encouraging carries the meaning of persuading or cheering them on in the right direction to exercise a gentle influence by words. Persuading them to a certain type of action. So we set up the standard with this exhortation. We're backing up the standard with our encouragement. But in doing this, we've got to let our children take risks. We cannot overprotect them. And I, like I said, I had the balance of both. My dad was wide open in a lot of areas, not, I don't mean sinful areas, but he, he just let us do things. He didn't worry about it. Ride your bike down to the store, whatever it may have been. My mom was on the other side of that, always trying to overprotect. But my dad won. He actually led our home. But with that, I had the freedom to fail. I could try things. I remember my dad walking home one day, when, I mean, walking out from the car into the house, and I'm out front under, under my MG, and I'm saying, Dad, I found out what's wrong with it. I had the, the oil pan off, and I'm sitting there looking at it, and, I'm going, and my dad stood there a second, and I went, knock, 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 knock. That's a connecting rod. My dad looked at me, and he went, oh. And he went in the house. My dad hated cars. I grew to hate cars. <laughs> but that MG was so much fun. It was a great car. And so it's, I try to work with it and find out things about it and how it's design flaws and three main bearings and so they break the crankshafts. And it was just sad. And that's when my dad stood there and he knew. He'd been there. And he went, you're wasting your time. 
But my dad gave me, he didn't stand there and say, you're stupid. Why are you working on that car? What a waste of time and a waste of money. He didn't do it. He gave me freedom to learn things on my own. We had a go-kart. We had, we had a variety of things that we could play with. They're dangerous. Nobody had helmets back then. No seatbelts in the cars. Five of us kids in a Buick, 61 Buick, or 51 Buick, and my youngest brother had a layup on the back ledge. That was real safe. Steel dash. Those were the good old days. But it's, it's the struggle. We, we, we keep trying to protect and hide them and pull them back. And so in backing up the standard, we don't tell them because my parents told me so. It's because this is what works in life. Now we're being a little more practical and, and ultimately want to pass on because God said so. But I've tried that. I've tried that many times with my children. I've, I've passed on the information and I pass it on from experience not just oida that he talked about earlier, this head knowledge, but gnosko, experiential knowledge, which is the spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12. And so as we wrestled with that, I listened to what I was being told. I took it in, and I gave that answer to, to girls and to other people around me because God says so, not because my parents said so. They gave me the freedom to get myself in really big trouble. God took it away in the convictions that I had inside. I had a genuine relationship with God. This is what you're after with your children. This is what you're encouraging them and trying to influence them into is this right walk so that they can have a conscience as a new creature in Christ. They can have the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They can have the constraints that the Word of God gives to them. I took my New Testament, my living New Testament, to school and got razzed by other students in high school. I was a senior. So I put a book cover on it, which you did with all your books anyway. Nobody knew what I was reading. I wasn't trying to impress them, nor would I try to hide it. If they asked me, I would tell them. And as I told you, one, one friend, I witnessed to him until he finally turned to me one day, and he just said, I want you to shut up. I don't want to ever hear it again. But I wasn't hiding Christ. And, and I didn't get all that at home. And so you can't use excuses and say, well, if my parents aren't perfect, how many of us had those? None. Then I have excuses to do things wrong. No, you don't. But if I did things wrong and here I am today, now I have an opportunity to confess that and to get right with God and to find out what the truth is and to pass it on and encourage those around me to walk with God because it works. I didn't get any girls pregnant. I didn't get any venereal diseases. I never tried drugs, never tried cigarettes. They're looking at me saying, what's wrong with you? I was a believer. I knew the truth of God's word, and I wanted to do things right. I got in one fight in my life defending my brother in about the fourth grade. Not much of a fight. Not that I wouldn't defend somebody, and I've stood up for people a lot. And John's restricted me from standing up to people that would have hurt me. But you, you're trying to learn, what is God after in our lives? What do I want to see happen in my home? And what it comes down to is you've got to start making some right decisions. And if you, are, as a father, have an opportunity to exhort and then to encourage your children and to send them in the right direction, this is what it comes down to. This is what matters in life. It isn't eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. And that's how all my friends were living in high school. And I watched them fall and fall and fall. I bumped into a guy six feet tall in the fifth grade. I bump in, and i got to be careful what I say on here. No names. But I bumped into him at a 20-year reunion. And the drugs that he had taken messed up his brain. He was the leader. He was the one. You didn't talk back to this guy. When they're six feet tall in the fifth grade, yes, sir, yes, sir. You obeyed and stayed out of their way. But I only came back later to see the results of a lifestyle that God told me not to go down. And then what do you do at that point? How do you undo that? So all of you sitting here, no matter who you are and what your family relations, you have an opportunity to testify to those around you. Follow God. Trust God. He really wants what's best for you. He will give you true joy, true love, true peace, what the world is clamoring for. But they don't want to pay the price. 
No, I still have angry eyes on. I've mod modified a little bit. Don't tell mom. <laughs> the last one here. Exhorting, encouraging, and then he talks about imploring. This is the strongest of these three terms. All of them are present tense. It's an ongoing activity. But the idea of imploring is insisting, requiring, urging that a certain course of action be adopted. I think I was pretty good at that as a dad. I remember one of my children standing out front with me in shorts, and this guy drove by, and I was trying to teach him, what you wear tells guy that it's a signal. The girls all want all the makeup. They want all the hairdos. They, they want the tight dresses or the no dresses or whatever it may be. And in our day, it was miniskirts. Somebody saved a lot of money on material <laughs> and doubled the price on the dress. But as the car went by, I saw the guy gawking. This is the same house we're in now. And I thought he was going to break his neck. And I told the child, I said, he's not looking at me. I don't know where that went. I don't know what that meant. But I kept trying to pass on to my children, watch out. Don't be the wrong kind of billboard because you'll get the wrong kind of guy. You want a man who loves God. Where are you going to find him? Not driving down the street gawking at your legs or whatever else. You've got to be in the right circles. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to let God be the one who guides you so that you get a man that you don't have to complain about like I'm hearing about in so many marriages. Oh, he's lazy. Doesn't care about me, and I won't go into detail because you're going to think I'm preaching to you. I am preaching to you. But, but the point is, I'm not trying to zero in on your flaws. You, you, you made a choice. You made decisions in those days. And then you're, you're trying to pass on to your children. But is it over? No. It isn't any more over than it was over when I sinned and I deserve to go to hell. You, you need to make choices. You need to correct them. You need to repent. You need to follow after Jesus Christ. You need to let him take the lead. You need to let him receive the glory and the recognition. But you need to correct or to um, admit that he is the one who has provided this for you. Over and over, I've seen marriages that were struggling so bad until they got them balanced with Jesus Christ being the leader. And it comes together. So then what do they do? Slack off. Oh, that's good. No, you, you can't. You've got to keep it going. It's a lifestyle you're going to lead until Jesus Christ returns and he says to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What are we living for? And if we're fathers, like Paul says here, are we exhorting? Urging our children toward the right direction? Encouraging them, kind of becoming their cheerleader, but persuading them to follow it? imploring them, coming alongside with this strong insistence while you have opportunity. You're affirming truth. You're declaring boundaries. You're appealing to them to follow after what's going to be best for them. Don't excuse sins. Confront them as a, as a loving father. Don't, don't just say, it's okay, it's okay. Well, children, kids do that. Teenagers do that. No. But he says here, he specifies each one of you. It was a very personal involvement. He saw the Thessalonians, as a father sees his children, as precious treasures. Each one is unique and needs to be dealt with in a unique way. And then he mentioned that phrase, as a father would. In the same example, the natural, normal practice of a father who loves his children, concerned about their well-being. And for that reason, men need to lead. Don't let your wife lead spiritually. Don't neglect to get into the Word as a family or to, to watch the proper things on TV. Lead your home. That's how God's designed it. That's what works best. Your wife will respect it. Now, if she's not a believer, you're going to have some other issues with that. But here, his own children, his descendants, his offspring... As we look at them and they become adults and, the, and that some of these children are astray, as I've mentioned to you in my life. I work toward salvation. Work toward forgiveness. Whatever the crimes may have been. It may have been as bad as murder or robbery. It may be divorce. And people, the church has gone way out of whack in how it's handled all of that. I've had people come in here, they'll tell me I'm a felon. Just got out of prison, 13 years. 
over the past 35 years. I don't have any kind of reaction to that. Because I don't care what's happened in the past. Where are you at today? Why are you here? The fact you walked in this door. I've seen um, some lesbians that lived in Lapine over the years, over the decades. When I saw one of them walk in the door, I made a beeline to them and gave them a hug. They're not unclean. They're just unsaved. And we've got to find the balance that God gives from his word so that we really are loving people and they can come to know him. I'm not excusing the lifestyle. But what, do I want to reverse it and have them ask me about my past sins and start listing them? I don't want God to do that. Our goal here is to help them. They're, this forgiveness, we'll talk about that next Sunday. The, the input in their life, being a bright example, sharing your testimony, giving scripture and encouragement as we talked about there. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. They're trapped. I don't look at his unbelievers as the enemy. I, I look at them as an opportunity to share Christ and see them set free like I was. That's what we're after. Isn't that what you're doing every day? Isn't that what you're anticipating and asking God to do in your life this week? Lead me to someone who needs to hear the gospel. Lead me to a believer who's struggling with sin in their life. Help me to know what to say and how to guide them. And then not to let go. We've had people visit, maybe on happier days, and they actually come back. I don't know this new couple here, if there was a need or what was going on. I'm sure my angry eyes drove them out. I don't wish for that. But what I'm after is for people to really take God seriously. Somebody needs to cry out in our, in our day. It doesn't take very long. I stopped taking the paper. I couldn't stand to read sin after sin after sin after sin in the paper. And now when you read it, it's sin after sin after sin, and they did nothing about it. They did nothing about it. They did nothing about it. They let them off. You know what that says is? They don't love them. I don't care what they do. I don't want to, ha I don't want to hassle it. I don't want this section of our world, our culture, coming down on me because I actually disciplined somebody. See, that's, that's where we're at today. But when they do that, as I mentioned last week, we pass them on to whatever the next thing is. It's going to be the drug overdose, or it's going to be the, the, the homeowner whose home you break into that shoots you and kills you dead. And it's because nobody stopped them along the way. When they took the two candy bars, nobody said, that's bad. That's not a good thing. Not only are we going to take them back, but you're going to pay double. And now I can't trust you in the store. So you're going to have to earn my trust back. but it's early on and you can work with them and you can show them what God thinks about it. So the last part of this, he goes from this situation that we need to be faithful, not popular today. We need to be fatherly, not popular today. And we go into what's fitting in our lifestyles in verse 12. He says, we do those things in 11 and 10 and 11 so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom. You may walk, you maintain this certain daily conduct, following after God, imitating Christ in a manner worthy, that's deserving, that's appropriate of being a child of God. You're reflecting God's character. Isn't it what you want your children to do? When I tried to steal at age 10, I paid for half of it. Isn't that noble? But I didn't have enough to get the other package of BBs that I wanted so we could go home with our slingshots and try to shoot each other's eyes out. So I had two friends that convinced me, oh, no, it's okay. They're overcharging anyway. They didn't quite say that. But, but we dropped in the pocket, and here's the guy. I mean, it was so stupid. It was so ridiculous. It was like God said, yep, go ahead and try. Ebner, you're a believer. That is not how you live. I, was, I think I'm, it might have been around 11 when I was actually out of church. And, and so uh, this guy's standing right there watching us. One for the cashier, one for the pocket, one for the cashier, one for the pocket. And we walk out the door, and the guy immediately walks up to us, and we're very respectful. And we go, caught. That was my crime spree in my life. 
That's how far God let me go because I was a believer. I didn't get supper that night. I got in trouble from him. I got in trouble from the store owner. I got in trouble from the policeman they called who chewed us out. See, back then, just for stealing a little package of BBs, they took it seriously. Then I got in trouble from my dad. That was the worst one. But I never forgot. It's missing today, folks. We're making excuses. And when you do it in your own personal life, you're going to pass it on to those around you. So as we've talked about in this whole series, it isn't about the children. It's about the parents. It's about the adults. And if your children have already become adults, as I mentioned here, you need to deal with it. And he specifies why. It's a lifestyle that's worthy of God, but also it's the Lord himself who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He's the one in charge. He's calling you. It's a present tense. That has nothing to do with getting saved. It's God deciding how and when you get put into the game. He's summoning you to serve him. Into his own kingdom is his reign, his empire. God is in control of our daily lives. It's God's rule in action today. It's not something he's talking about down the road. And then he says, into his own glory. He wants you to receive recognition with his son, Jesus Christ. How can he do that? How can he take us rotten sinners and we can label the sins and just boom, 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 boom. And we're going to stand up there and reign with Christ. We're going to receive an inheritance with Christ. I've talked about before having this portrait that we're painting. That's how we live our lives, constantly painting on the portrait. We come to Christ, he gets behind us, and he doesn't undo the portrait because that's us. He doesn't change the past. He simply adds his strokes to what's there. And when he's done, it is a masterpiece. And yet you can still see you in it. That's what Jesus Christ is doing. That's what he wants to do in each one of our lives. This is what he wants to do in our children's lives. And so he says, into his own glory, he wants to give us recognition. The honor resulting from a good opinion from God. He wants to be able to say, well done. Okay, angry eyes are going back in my Mr. Potato Head pouch. You've got to come to church every week so you don't always see me in this mode. But we've got to do something, folks. It's not a game. I thought I was going to die 10 years ago, and God said, nope. I can't be waiting around to die, and so I'm not. I don't have to feel good to serve him. I don't have to have everything go right in my life to serve him. I need to serve him. And that's what I want to pass on to my children. And some of them are listening right now. I've never regretted putting Jesus Christ first. Never went back and said, oh, I wish I'd gotten that girl pregnant. Would have made my life a whole lot better. I thank God over and over again that he stopped me from getting into anything like that. But if that happened, and that's your life, he takes it from where we are at, doesn't he? And all of us sinners are forgiven in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And now we can walk with him in new life. And we can allow those things to be part of our testimonies, part of that picture on the wall that we know he's going to use in spite of how bad we are. I need hours and hours and hours to explain, but you don't have the capacity to take it all in. I have the capacity to give it all out. Dangerous. My kids probably got tired of that and said, Dad talks too much. <laughs> but when they were little, they couldn't say that to my face. Now I, I accept it. But I'm not the same man I was when I was raising my children. I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I'm growing in humility. It's Jesus Christ that gets to be, be exalted, not me. So I challenge you with this message. To take God seriously, especially in the home. Let him do things his way. And you'll be the one to benefit. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that um, the sternness of this message will go away, that people won't think of that, but they'll remember the, the truth. 
we have an opportunity to put you first every day. Help us. Help us to turn away from the world that's pulling us astray. Help us to not want to dress like them or talk like them or act like them because they're empty and they don't have joy. They don't have peace. They don't have a heavenly father who gives us security forever and ever. Lord, help us to stand for you. And may people see Christ in us. If there be someone here today who does not know you or doesn't know if they know you, may they not put it off any longer. May they ask for your guidance to know how to believe in the death and resurrection of your son. How to repent and turn from what they were and let you take them into what you want them to be. Lord, help us to make a difference in this world. Even if it's only a few people here and there, may we care about every single one of them. And may we lay down our lives that they might know you. And to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we close.